0: Coming ready or not. Uh, That's what you yell when you're playing hide and seek. Uh, Everyone runs off to hide. And I guess the point of saying ready or not uh, is that some will be ready and some might be ready. But that doesn't matter to the seeker, uh, to the one who's chasing, because he is coming anyway to find people. Now, it's the same here in today's passage. Luke chapter 3 with the people of Israel they thought they were ready but they're going to be found out. They've been waiting for God's Messiah his rescuer to come. The prophets have been calling out he's coming ready or not for centuries. And the people in John's time thought they were ready. All that mattered was that they were part of Israel God's chosen people. Because Israel needed a rescuer. After centuries of foreign oppression, the people were eagerly waiting. And as soon as God sent this rescuer, they would join him and together they would throw out the Romans, the ones who were ruling them. But were they ready? And what would it look like to be ready? Well, we pick up Luke's story about 30 or so years after the birth of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' cousin John, he's out in the desert and he's doing what prophets have been doing for centuries before him, preparing people for God's Messiah to come. Uh, John is sending this message, God is coming, ready or not. Uh, His fellow prophet Isaiah, 500 years earlier, had preached to the Jews who were in exile in Babylon and he announced to these uh, imprisoned Jews that God was coming to save them. And restore them to the promised land. And Isaiah described his message. It's quoted there in verse 4 in front of you. Uh, Isaiah says uh, he would be a voice calling in the desert. Get ready. God is coming. Build the new expressway to make it easier for him to arrive. He says fill in the valleys. Chop off the hills. Straighten out the curves. Smooth out the rough bits. God is coming to save people. Now that, 500 years later, is exactly what John is doing. He's announcing to a new generation of God's people that they need to be ready for God to save them. But how do you do that? How do you prepare prepare for God to save you? Well, it's got nothing to do with bitumen and rocks and road, road building, Got everything to do with repenting of your sins. Do you see it there in verse 3? John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what it means to smooth the way for God to arrive. The word baptism, it just means washing. Uh, Mark's gospel talks about baptising. Um, cooking vessels and things that you eat from. So it just means to wash. But for the Jews of John's time, this was more than just getting clean. The washing was symbolic. A, a metaphor. Now there were two sides to it. On the human side, to be baptised was a public generation that you repented of your sin. That you turned around from ignoring God and were committed to walk toward him. Now on the other side was, uh, was God's side. The washing showed that God forgave. Uh, his wiping of sins away, removing of guilt. So baptism, verse 3, of repentance, that's our part, for the forgiveness of sins. That's what God does. That's God's part. Now that was how you got ready for God then and it's the same today. To turn away from living your own way, recognise your rebellion against God and then admit that you've ignored him. That's repentance. And when we do that, God's promise is forgiveness. Just like John said, the removal of guilt. The beginning of a new relationship with God. Now all of that is symbolised by baptism. It's quite appropriate we're, we're holding some membership and baptism classes in a few weeks. So if you haven't done that, uh, that would be a good thing for you to consider coming to those classes. Uh, but the thing to remember is that baptism is just a symbol, a picture. It's the easy bit. It's one decision, one quick action. Religious ceremony is always easier than the spiritual reality it represents. You see the real decision, true repentance, it happens on the inside. It's much harder. It takes a lot more determination than just being splashed with water. Because repentance means tough choices that you make again and again, every day. The choice to turn away from what you want And choose God's way instead. Now it seems like that is what the people were forgetting. Uh, Do you have a look at John's opinion of the crowd? Verse 7 says that the crowds had left the cities and towns and come out to hear John in the wilderness. They're enthusiastic, but John's view is they're not genuine. Verse 7, he calls them a brood of vipers. I think by that he means they're deceptive and they're dangerous. It seems like they've turned up to watch the show, to be entertained for the religious experience, but nothing more. And John warns them that God has no time for hypocrites, no time for people who line up for religious ceremony but are not interested in the hard work that goes with it. Have a look at what he says in verse 7 You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, there's the summary of his whole message. It's not enough to just appear to repent, it's got to be genuine, it has to bear fruit. Being washed in the river doesn't make someone a righteous follower of God. There has to be long-term practical change. God is not interested in hypocrites. Real repentance involves tough decisions, choices to change your attitudes, your orientations, reorder your priorities and then put those decisions, those changes into practice. Do you see the problem as John understands it? God's king is on his way and everyone's keen to welcome him. But the crowd thinks it's just a matter of washing up to get ready. They're in real danger of being found out, of being caught unprepared. Being caught unprepared. It's like the nightmare students have before their final exam. Uh, They dream that they're, they're, they're... They're doing the exam, but they forgot to study. Have you ever had that dream? (laughs) Well, I forgot to study. No, (laughs) what's going on? Or the nightmare that public speakers have. (laughs) The night before their speech, they dream that they forgot to get dressed and they're delivering the speech naked. Or the nightmare preachers have, true story, that they've forgotten their notes and they stand up here and they have to make it up. It's the danger of being unprepared. And John is worried for this crowd. John says, get ready. There's work to be done before God arrives. Verse 9, he warns them, if you don't produce fruit, you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's judgment. If you're not ready, if your repentance isn't real, then God is coming to judge you, not to save you. And I love verse 10. There's probably hardly a better verse for a preacher. So the people ask, what shall we do then? I love it. What does fruit look like, they're saying? And John gives them three examples. Verse, firstly, verse 11. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. You see, repentance is more than just an attitude. It's more than just sitting back in luxury and thanking God for how he's blessed you. Repentance is obedience to God, which affects your money. Repentance affects your free time. Repentance affects your comfortable and easy lifestyle. For us, it may mean giving up some of our possessions or our money to help someone who needs it. To be soft-hearted when you see someone in need rather than tight-fisted. Repentance might look like this, uh, giving to the ministries here at church. Repentance might mean being organised and consistent and generous. Budgeting, so that your offering comes out of your pay first, not last. Before tax, not after tax. It may mean setting up a direct debit or a regular payment so you don't forget or spend it, spend it on something else. Giving for God's work is a priority because God is a priority. Repentance fruit it might look like that for you. It might look like spending your holidays on a beach mission instead of on a beach. It may mean offering to join a ministry team here at church even though you feel like life is too busy. Repentance fruit might look like that for you. Secondly, in verse 12, we see some tax collectors who ask, what does it mean for us? John says, don't overcharge. It was actually legal for them to charge whatever they wanted, whatever they thought the market could bear, whatever they thought people had in their pockets. But John's point is don't take advantage of people like that. If you are in a position where you have an advantage over someone, don't take that advantage. If you're an employer, pay a fair wage. If you work for someone else, give it your best. Don't leave early or arrive late just because you can. If you're quoting for a job, don't overquote because you're the only one and you know you'll get more money. Don't under-deliver. Don't take advantage. Repentance fruit might look like that. Some soldiers speak up as well probably Roman soldiers. Interesting isn't it? Verse 14 What should we do? They could take advantage of anyone they liked The law of the land said that the Jews had to help them. If if you didn't it was treason. Same thing goes for them as for the tax collectors. Don't take advantage just because you can But then he adds the kicker the sting in the tail, be content with your pay you see, that's really where all the, disadvantage, the, the taking advantage comes from, isn't it? When you're discontent. It's tough, isn't it, to be content? It's not so much an action, it's not something you do, it's an attitude of your heart. Now that's much harder to control, being content. Be satisfied with what you've got. Now it It was tough then, but I think it's probably tougher now. We are surrounded by so much advertising everywhere we look, so much comparison. Social media, perhaps that's even worse than advertising. People always show you their best on social media, don't they? Their best hairstyle, their best clothes, their best holiday, their best pet, their best children's behaviour. And the temptation is to want what they have or worse, to be who they are rather than being content with what God's given you or who God has made you. Rather than trust that God is good and wise and generous and he's given us everything we need. Be content, John says. Repentance fruit might look like that. Now, if that's hard for you to be content, try listing your blessings. Write them down. Things that you're thankful for uh, to God. Or else, as an antidote to social media and all the positive things people project, visit the children's hospital one afternoon. Just have a look at families who really are doing it tough. That is a great way to learn to be grateful for what you do have. be content. John's point is that repentance has to mean something concrete, something real. Now, for you the challenge may not to be content. Maybe you are content. Maybe it's not being generous. But it's got to be something real. Does your repentance have fruit? Now, don't assume that the answer is yes just because you're in church or that you've been coming to church for years. Sitting there is not fruit. If you're tempted to think like that, then John has a word for you as well. Some people listening to John were confident because of who they were. They were descendants of Abraham. God had promised Abraham's descendants would be his chosen people. Great, we're in, they thought. They thought that meant... They could do whatever they liked. But look at what John says. It's the same message. God's true people show it by their actions. Halfway through verse 8, he says, Don't begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John says, just because you're Jewish, don't think you'll escape God's judgment because of your parents, your heritage, your background. That's not it. That's not going to do it. Verse 9, he says it again, you must produce fruit. Your life has to look different. It doesn't matter how pure your bloodline is. Or how perfect your attendance record is. You are not safe from judgment if you are not producing fruit. It's not enough to just present your birth certificate I'm from this race or that family, or your church membership certificate, or your theology degree. God doesn't care about those things. Your repentance has to produce something. Make sure you hear John's warning. Now this is all powerful stuff. Uh, The people love it. Uh, Verse 15, they they even wonder whether John John might be the Messiah, the the Christ, God's promised chosen king. We know different though. Uh, We know differently. Luke has already told us that John, he's not the main event. He's the road builder. He's the bump smoother. He's the corner straightener. He's the opening act for the main performance. And so John has to correct their misunderstanding, to throw cold water not just on their heads when he baptizes them, but cold water on their expectations for who he is. John says when Jesus does appear, he will be completely different to John. It's like the difference between a beauty therapist and a cardiac surgeon. Verse 16, he says, "I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." When John baptizes with water, it's it's like a beauty therap- going to a beauty therapist who who scrubs your skin clean and exfoliates, whatever that is, moisturizes and massages. And applies makeup, but what's on the inside is the same. John says Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He'll be like the cardiac surgeon who cuts you open and replaces a bad broken heart with a new healthy one and gives new life. That's what Jesus does with people, says John spiritual heart surgery cuts right to the core of your nature, transforms our attitude and our minds and our hands and our mouths. Yes, John was special. John got to introduce Jesus. But in every other way, he was just the same as all the other prophets who came before him. He was encouraging repentance that produces fruit. He was washing the outside with water but his message was one people couldn't follow. No matter how long they practiced or how hard they tried, their repentance wasn't genuine, their fruit didn't last. John could only work on the externals, but it was like applying moisturizer to treat heart disease. He was looking forward to a powerful solution. He was just pointing the way to genuine change. He was looking forward to a cure. What people needed was Jesus changing from the inside out. When he pours out the Holy Spirit onto people who trust him. Because without the Holy Spirit, none of us is able to repent and produce fruit. We're not able to repent or to bear the fruit that comes from it. It doesn't matter how educated you are or how entitled or how wealthy you are, you can't repent unless God does it by the power of his holy spirit. John was looking forward to that. The prophets before John were looking forward to it. 5 centuries before Jesus, Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36 God promised this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What does Ezekiel say that the people are to do in this verse? Nothing. God is promising to do everything. Now I think John is probably thinking of this passage about God replacing hearts of stone. He says to the crowd in verse 8, God can raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. Now, I always assumed he was pointing to the rocks on the mountainside. But just maybe he was actually pointing to the crowds. To all of them out there who had hearts of stone, dead hearts, unable to repent hearts, unable to produce fruit hearts, And John was saying, God can raise those hearts. He was looking forward to Jesus pouring his spirit into those people, giving them a heart of flesh to replace their stone heart. And the spirit would actually move them, empower them to follow his law and produce repentance fruit. All of that comes from God and it's nothing from us. With Jesus, all of us have dead hearts of stone, unable to... Sorry, without Jesus, all of us have dead hearts, without, unable to produce fruit. Now, that's what it was like for me. Uh, I was about 15, more than 40 years ago. Uh, I'd grown up going to church, youth group, Christian holiday camps, and at each Christian holiday camp I went to for about four years in a row... I would decide to follow Jesus. I would decide, yes, I'm going to become a Christian. Again. And I would determine, this time I'm going to try harder. This time it's going to stick. And then I would get back to school and I would join in with the crowd, with my peer group and I'd fall back into my old ways of doing things. On Sundays I would look like a Christian but the rest of the week I would just look like everybody else. But one night I remember I was lying in my bed. I was frustrated. I was recognising what a hypocrite I was, what a failure, how powerless I was to live the life I knew Jesus wanted me to live. And so I prayed, God, I can't do this. I want you to take over. I thought, I failed. But I think that was actually the moment when I succeeded. When I actually repented. Now, I didn't, at that time, have the theology to know exactly what I was doing. But looking back, I think that's when God took out my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. I think that's when God poured his Holy Spirit into me and gave me the will and the power to follow Jesus. Jesus. Because at that point, it stuck. Not, not that I'm perfect, but it stuck. Now, John was looking forward to that day when Jesus would come and do that for people. When he would make that change possible for anyone who trusted him, for anyone who got to the end of their own efforts, who recognised their sin and their helplessness, Anyone who says to God, God, I can't do this. I'm a failure. You'll have to take over. And Jesus has come. And he's offering that change to everyone. Is that something you need to do? That's how you get ready for God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you for John. We thank you for his clear words of warning, his insistence that people bear fruit of repentance. Lord, help us to not be hypocrites, to sit here in church and pretend. We pray for your spirit to be at work in each of us, giving us the will to repent and the power to repent and produce fruit. Amen.